Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Natavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris. And today on the podcast, we have our good friend Daniel from Sweden, uh, Stockholm to be specific, to talk about Raven Guard and Blood Angels together. But before we get to that, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you can find us on the Frontline Gaming Network, uh, which is just a fantastic place to find uh, excellent, competitively focused uh 40k content so you should check out the frontline gaming network if you haven't already um just for some excellent 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 stuff to keep you busy during all of our covid social distancing sort of rituals uh, as always i'm joined by my co-host nick nanavati who is one of the best 40k players in the world uh nick why don't you go ahead and introduce us to daniel tell us a little bit about him and get started with our first question Absolutely. Uh, Daniel is one of my good friends. I met him, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago at the first Adepticon I attended. He's uh, been a huge part of the tournament scene forever. Um, he's been on the ETC team for as long as I can remember, and he was the captain for quite many years. Uh, Daniel and I are also really good friends. I've been to his house, met his family over in Sweden. They're very great, hospitable people over there. And uh, yeah, if you can ever make it out to Sweden, I highly recommend it. Uh, Daniel is one of the best players I've ever had the pleasure of playing, and uh, really gentlemanly as well. He plays very much by intent and uh, just makes for some very fun games. You know, he doesn't let you do stupid stuff. He's uh, one of those players who wants to beat you because he's better than you, not because you forgot to cast a psychic power, which I really respect. So anyways, Daniel, uh, good to see you. Haven't talked to you in a while, my friend. Hope you're doing well with all the nonsense going out there in the world. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on your show. I have a lot of spare time, so I'm happy to spend it with you guys. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. We all do. So uh, why don't you go ahead and just get started telling me what your list is, and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, so um, I've been this year I've been looking a lot at Blood Angels. I was planning to play it at the VTC, uh, or at, at least explore it for the VTC uh, for this year. Um, but in single tournaments here in Sweden, uh, I didn't want to um, restrict myself just to that one codex because I felt I found some good synergies b between Blood Angels and Raven Guard. Uh, so I did a mixed list, really, half and half, I would say. So um, the Blood Angels part is Sangonor uh, and Astaroth as HQs. Then three five-man units of scouts. I've been running different types of scouts, uh, both close assault and alter scouts, testing that out a little bit. I haven't found a great difference. They're primarily there to stand on objectives and block. <laughs> it's say, it doesn't really matter what they have, does it? <laughs> no, no. So that, that's why I didn't write out their equipment on the on the rooster when I sent it to you, because it really doesn't matter. Uh, then I've played 15 death companies with jump packs uh, and three thunder hammers in there. Uh, I've also been playing around a little bit with hand flamers on those guys. Um, 
and then um, nine man, ten man units of sanguinary guards. Also been testing around with axes and swords to see uh, the uh, damage output. Uh, so that's basically the blood angel part. Um, the so raven guard. Yeah, it's one battalion. Yeah, and then the raven guard part uh, has been a chaplain with jump pack. He has been the warlord with master ambush, uh, uh, mash captain. Uh, he's typically been getting the second warlord trait, which is the advanced charge aura. And then uh, three five-man units of um, intercessors, uh, six altar aggressors, and um, six um, centuri- assault centurions with hurricane bolters and bayonets. There's some points left in the list. I've been mixing that up a little bit. I'm not sure where to go with it right now. Uh, it's sort of, I'm testing around a little bit to see where those points do most value. Yeah, so then I, I mean, if you go into specifics on the army, uh, I think if, if you take the Blood Angels part, I think Astaroth is really nice with the Death Company, with the double um, Lituans he have, and Sangonor is obviously nice also to buff with the extra attack. Um, Death Company has really been awesome in all my games, so they're probably the MVP of the, of the army, actually, which a lot of people That's really find. interesting interesting yeah. because they don't like them <laughs> I, I don't like them either so that's really cool no, I've, Do you have any I've, I've seen a lot of them? armies I've seen a lot of armies with more sanguinary guards instead I, I like them too but I think the death company just deals so much damage when they, when they get at it so I enjoy them so uh, real quick do you have any like thunder hammers in your death company squad or anything I Is have it just three. like I have three. three. I've been looking at four, you know, for the extra points. I don't know where to go with them. I've been testing some hand flamers and some extra thunder hammers and stuff like that uh, to go in there as well. Um, three, I think, is the least amount of hammers you should have in that. Yeah. You wanted to really hit home and blow up tanks if you were hitting tanks yeah. turn one or coming in later. But uh, before we get into the Death Company, and believe me, we will. Uh, I want to talk about the fact that you're running a, a mixed marine list, which is something we haven't actually had on this podcast, I think, ever. Usually people pick a faction and, and kind of just stick with it to get the access to the super doctrine they have, whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, and Raven Guard and Blood Angels both have pretty good super doctrines. Blood Angels being plus one attack and assault doctrine for the whole army, and uh, Raven Guard obviously doing horrible, horrible things to characters. So what made you diverge from going one way or the other way, picking one faction or the other? Uh, I, one reason is that most games are won before turn three. Okay. Um, so you mean, with the Blood Angels, you mean, so you weren't able yeah. to make use of the Assault Doctrine? Exactly. So typically, typically I would say I deal too much damage in turn one or turn two. So I don't, I don't really reach turn three. And, I, and when I do, I don't need the extra attack. Um, and when it comes to the... Um, uh, Raven Guard part, obviously I'm not running anything that would benefit that much of hurting characters more. Uh, it would be different if I had a lot of or other stuff that, that can target the characters. So, uh, and, and also I've been playing around with uh, not uh, not playing them as Raven Guard, I've been playing them as... So why don't you, 
uh, explain kind of the overall play style to this list. I imagine it plays two different ways of going first or going second, since uh, the company obviously have different roles, or uh, the aggressors with uh, Master Ambush have to be used differently. So what's like the two ways you play? Yeah, but I, I would say it has like three plays, really, depending on terrain. So if I go first, the play is really easy, I would say. I uh, also, there's a pre-fac and the post-fac way to play it, but let's imagine uh, only only post-fac strategies are relevant. Yeah, let's just do um, that since that's all. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if if I start, I push up uh, forlorn up the death company. Uh, I will wings of fire the the sanguinary guards. I will perfect ambush the shafter monster. Uh, the chaplain and the um, uh, and the aggressors. I'll dip strike the centurions, uh, and I will probably pay to infiltrate the the captain also to get get him up there. So uh, you'll spend like so many CP before the game even starts. Yeah, I, li- I literally have two CPs after turn one or something. Oh man. <laughs> okay, and that's, think, that works for you. Yeah, in this type of army, I think I, it's like a snowball, you know. If you get it rolling, it's just really hard to stop it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that that's if I go first. Obviously, alpha striking lists typically, you know, they don't do well in tournaments because if they don't go first, well, you're you're bummed out. But I found that uh, over the last year, like 40k has become more corporate. So all the I call it corporate 40k at least all the um, Tables are similar. There's this typical double L size, big sized um, loss blocker in the center of the table, etc. So what I do if I go second is I forlorn everything up and, and perfect ambush in in the center of the table, out of line of sight, and sort of make the center zone a very unfriendly place to go to. Yeah, and that's ultimately how you win 40k, I guess, controlling the table, controlling the objectives. Even if you get your ass kicked over a course of the game, if you stole on the objectives for five out of six turns while your opponent stood on yeah. none of them or one of them, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the give, either way, uh, what I've found is that people are very occupied killing centurions, aggressors, death companies, sanguinary guards, you know, I'm trying to lock them in combat, making little damage in my turn, a lot of damage in their turn, uh, trying to keep locked in so they don't have any relevant things to shoot at. So they have to fight my close combat units in close combat, with, which typically uh, That way, people don't have time to work on the scouts and the intercessors, which means I live, I'll win the game. Just because they've yeah. been standing on objectives or, you know, taking maelstrom totally cards. Yeah. So it just, it just, just if I can ask a quick question, it sort of occurs to me that if your list goes first, you sort of take the board just by the virtue of its speed and its redeployment options. You're like all across the table and in somebody's business, right? Wrapping stuff, trapping yeah. stuff, <clears throat> that kind of thing. And if yeah. you go second, your extreme threat ranges forces people to be conservative so I imagine you take the board when you go second and a lot of times, or you get a pretty hard first turn 
I'm not going to call it an alpha strike. I guess it's more of a beta strike because they get to move and everything first. But they're going to get if they're if they're too aggressive, they're going to get punched in the face really hard, which they don't want anything. Yeah. They don't want and typically yeah. anyway, right? So, in either case, you're you're really strongly taking board positions, going first or second. That's how I kind of see it. Is that am I understanding it correctly? Yeah, that, that's totally correctly. So most of the games I've played with it, my opponent spends turn one to four in their deployment zone, down in the corner of it, you know, trying to not be charged, trying to find angles to shoot out my stuff. And, and that way they typically lose the game anyway because they won't reach the objective buttons or, uh, you know, they won't play good on Mailstorm. So... Uh, it's been really working well. What I see as a problem is if I go second and the board is quite open, then I've been uh, playing around with a lot of deep striking, so I still get the chance to do stuff but later in the game. Gotcha. So um, what's your plan, I guess, if you go second and there's not much training? Now, I, I mean, that's kind of uncharacteristic of a lot of tournaments, like you said, because 40k, as you put it, is getting more corporate, more standardized. Um, but, you know, some tournaments have weird terrain. Or is this an army you think just can't work in those tables without good terrain? I mean, since I can deep strike most of the important stuff, and typically you can hide some stuff anyway, uh, I don't think it's that bad. So I would probably deep strike aggressors and intercessors. I would probably deep strike Sanguinary Guards or, uh, and hide Death Company and do uh, Winds of Fire on them instead. Uh, or hide Sanguinary, uh, Deep Strike Death Company and hide Sanguinary Guards and do Winds of Fire on them later, later in the game. But the problem you have then is you don't have enough uh, threats on the yeah, table. Yeah. So the your, your, your um, opponent will take more table. But you, I think. I don't think you're, you know, auto-losing those games anyway. Right. Um, so let's go back to the Death Company really quick. Uh, you were saying they're pretty much your MVPs every game, which a lot of people find surprising. Yeah. Um, what do you do with them that's so awesome? I mean, obviously they can foil and fury can charge to one, but you're not going first every game, and sometimes that might not even be the best option. So what are they doing that's so great? I think they're durable enough uh with the five up fill of pain you can put on them for one cp uh you place them in cover um they're durable enough they're really fast and typically what i've seen at least when i've been playing with them is that people want to screen you off so people put stuff out there and those screens are just perfect to hide your death company in uh, just trapped in close combat. I yeah, gotcha. exactly. So typically when I go second, I forlorn them up up or backwards into cover so people can't shoot anything except indirect at them. Uh, I have not tried against a massive indirect army, to be honest. That could probably be a big problem. Then I would probably have to. But, uh, anyway, with the speed, uh, the 3D6 charge, the everything... You you will always be able to get them into some close combat, and then just try to trap trap them there for that turn, and then you just keep on rolling. You know, so 
I actually haven't had any any big issues with them. I got seized in one game, uh, and the drop pod fell down with um, grabs and took them out. That was horrible, even though they were well hidden. Uh, so don't do that. <laughs> but um, except for that, they've been lasting, you know, until turn two, turn three, and dealing damage and, and just making a headache for the opponent, so. Yeah, what happens if you fight someone with, uh, I guess, good counter-charge capability? Now, obviously, I get it. You fight someone, they screen, you wrap them, and if they don't have good counter-charge, or even Smite, I find, is super effective against death combat since they're just one-one Marines. Yeah. Um, if they have a good way to just beat you out of that combat through Smites and counter-charge without sacrificing a real unit in, like, a trade war, uh, do you still get good value out of them? Well, I mean, they're seldomly up there alone. Okay. Which means that all those mites go into a unit, but there's typically, you know, aggressors, sanguinary guards, and centurions up there as well. Which means, uh, of course, you know, something will go into something. I understand that. And, but, uh, yeah, I, I always found them very valuable. I, I know what you're saying. What I found really hard to play against overall is Gene Stiller cult because there's no good way to trade against them. Like, I kill 140 points of you, you kill 316 points of me very easily. Yeah. So, uh, Gene Stiller cult, I've actually not managed to beat yet this army. Yeah. Uh, so, I know Gene Stiller cult is actually much more popular over there in Sweden than it is here in America right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and especially since some of our best players are playing. Um, so that has been a problem. Uh, but like, at least when I started playing this, uh, Space Marines were very popular and uh, they had a really hard time, you know, trading well against my army. In sense. So, that worked really good against in the meta at that time. Uh, but as you say, some armies have really strong counter charges. It could be a problem, especially the gene filler cult. Um, yeah, and we'll go into matchup specific stuff. So, yeah. any specific tricks and tips you have for gene filler cult or other factions, we'll go through then. Uh, let's talk about your aggressors. Yep. I know they're discounts and charities. That's how, I, at least, I always refer to them. Uh, you were running them before the FAQ kind of forced it upon you with the Master of Ambush nerfed for Centurions. Uh, yeah. How have you been liking them? I I wasn't in love with them before the change. Uh, now now I like them more because obviously I don't have them. I can't put Centurions up there. <clears throat> but I felt I needed a massive output of uh, shots to clear screens. Um, and uh, I could infiltrate them up, advance, then walk, advance, and then with the advance charge bubble, I could sh even get a first turn charge in with them as well if I wanted to. So they've been working okay. They're not the MVP. They're still not the MVP because there's really a big difference between them and endurance. It's uh, yeah, I know a lot of players uh, kind of immediately assume, okay, we'll just master and push. Progressors now, since we can't master ambush centurions, and it's yeah. it's really not the same thing at all. No, um, no, it's not. And also, I was playing around with invictors instead of centurions because I didn't want to put them in the track. 
that just went horribly bad for me. The Invictors did not do the same job at all. So the list is back to Cent- Centurions. Yeah. Have you considered anything like Inceptors or anything? So you have more deep striking threats that can that naturally deep strike without spending CP? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've been looking at... I've been looking at... I mean, I have some points left. I'm not overly fond with the aggressors right now. Uh, I'm not super fond with being forced to deep strike the Centurions. Uh, so I've, I'm sort of rebuilding the list a little bit uh, right now. But to be honest, right now I'm playing more Grey Knights. Uh, so... Uh, but there's no tournaments right now anyway. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying the Art of War war room and, and interviews and other various places that right now is the perfect time to just experiment and innovate with new yeah. list ideas. So, yeah. You know, I, I mean, the uh, next tournament you... is probably not until August anyway, so it's really hard, uh, you know, to, to get a good testing in. Uh, I, we, do, we still do play here in Sweden, though I'm getting like, I don't know, three, four games in every week still, um, which is nice. But uh, it's more for funs and giggles right now because we're not practicing for anything specific. Uh, but yeah, before before this happened, I was looking at doing some changes and I was looking at getting more natural deep strikes in from, from the, on the Raven Guard side. Yeah, I mean, I totally get the fact that uh, you, you haven't really figured out how to finish the list since... You've been seeing success with it, but now there's no events. It sounds like, though, the parts of the list you're less happy with are the Raven Guard parts of the list. Is that fair to say? Or do you think you still need the Raven Guard element with your Blood Angels? Uh, more Blood Angels would just give you more what you have. The Raven Guard give you different kinds of tools. I, I think the Ra- Blood Angels as a solo fraction works really well. I've done like 25 games with that. Uh, I think I've only lost three games. All to Gene Stiller Cult. Um, so Blood Angels on the own works really well. Um, what I really like with the combination is the possibility to have, you know, everything pushing. Uh, a lot of armies can't handle that amount of threats. Uh, so I like the flexibility of that. Um, and, and also, I mean, uh, when you were able to infiltrate the Centurions, they just did massive damage. I guess it's more about trying to figure out how to u- utilize and optimize uh, aggressors right now, or change them out to something else that's not better. Um, but Invictors were not better. <laughs> they, yeah. they really didn't yeah. I've got a really quick question, but before I ask it, let me just uh, take a moment to get a note from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. All right, now that we've had our sponsors uh, come through. Uh, so when you play this list, do you typically play um, in like ETC style, or I guess now WTC, we should call it, style missions? Or do you guys play a lot of ITC in Sweden? I'm kind of curious as to, 
you know, um, if you're playing it both in both types, to both of the primary types of games, I guess is how I would describe it. Uh, I would say tournament-wise, it's primarily been ITC or versions of ITC. We're we're doing some versions of ITC in Sweden with some cards, uh, but um, yeah, yeah, some Ezreal cards, etc. Uh, but practice games from January onwards, I only practice WTC. Uh, so I would say it's been doing fairly good in both. Um, so, yeah, that's a question I wanted uh, to follow up on. ITC now is you're going first, you're going first, or you're going second, you're going second, which is great because it removes the ambiguity to the subject. There's no C's to worry about anything, which is absolutely terrible for your type of list where your pregame moving in the middle of the board gets seized on and super vulnerable. Yeah. Um, how do you cope with having a C's mechanic or not necessarily going if you knowing if you're going first, like if you play the older style of alternating deployments and then rolling off for who's first turn? How do you adjust for that kind of stuff? Yeah, C is obviously a problem. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie there. Uh, because <laughs> you're, you're you're doing, you're pushing up. You're doing, you know, you're committing into something. And if you get seized, you could be horribly positioned. What I found with the similar type of terrain that we're playing everywhere in the world right now is that you typically anyway end up sort of in the terrain feature in the middle of the table. So it's not horrible, but... Uh, yeah, because the middle usually does block line of sight. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's not horrible, um, but, but it could mess things up. Back to your comment before, with the indirect fire being a potentially bad matchup because you have to hide in the middle turn one and then they just blow your brains out. Yeah. I've, I've not actually never played with a really against a really heavy indirect fire list. Uh, I think in that case, I would try to let them go first and deep strike more more things. That's always oh, really you wouldn't, you wouldn't try to just go first and get the like if you if C's was a mechanic right and so not an ITC format or yeah. proper ITC. Uh, you would take the super safe route of go, of choosing second and deep striking and play. The really long game instead of going first and hoping the one six chance to seize just doesn't happen. It, it depends on the tournament, I would say. I like my list typically does. Do it takes like twenty zero in a, in that format in enough games that I will end up on the podium with one loss. So in that format, I would probably try to gamble and not get seized. But in a win roll loss scenario, when if I lose one game. I'm out on top three. Uh, I would probably, in that scenario, take the safer route. I'm really glad you touched on that subject because I think most players would definitely just, if I lose to the Cs, I lose to the Cs. That's the kind of army I'm playing and that's the kind of army indirect fire is. But yeah. there's always plays for it. So, yeah, you're, you're foregoing the 5-6 chance to just basically auto-win the match if you know you're going first, barring your Cs. Um, but if you can win a more consistent conservative game... Maybe not such a blowout, and maybe it's more work on your end, more skill intensive than just running forward with Death Company and aggressors and charging turn one. Uh, doesn't matter though. In a win loss draw format, a win is a win, and that's all yeah, that matters. Exactly. So yeah, play that long game. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. So actually, I I think the army has enough te- tactical flexibility to 
either go first, go second, and on a bad table, or if you know if you're in the finals in a win draw loss scenario tournament, you really don't want to lose that game because well then you end up seventh instead of first. That sucks. So in that case, yeah. I would probably take uh, the safer route. Uh, and just try. Yeah, to- I, I would do the same thing. It makes perfect sense yeah. to me. Uh, so back to your list choices, I guess. Uh, I don't think we touched on which successor chapters of Raven Guard you've gone with, or are you playing proper Raven Guard? Um, well, I've been playing around with them. them. Uh, um, I've been looking at plus range for the shooting, the long range, the long marksman, mark, long yeah. range marksman. I think it's called. Uh, for right. the flamers, centurions sleeping in, and hurricane bolters, and uh, also the aggressors, it's been good. Uh, I've been playing around with stealth a bit. Didn't find that very useful because I'm typically within twelve inches. So you're running straight into the other guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the hit and run version is nice uh, when you can go out that's, and charge. That's one that a lot of players have really considered. Um, fall back and charge is what it does, yeah. guys. I forget what the technical name well, is. Have you found much success with that? Also with the Raven Guard Lituin, which allows you to go out shoot. That will give everyone within six inches of, of your chaplain, you know, Harlequin type hit and run. So you can go out, yeah. shoot, pull, then charge something else. So yeah, that can be really potent for someone who's trying to buy time against your army. That's I think what your army's trying to do is is make people answer too many questions all at once. Yeah. So one thing people will do to try to mitigate that or deal with that is maybe bump into you with like a, a durable tank or a, a nice squad with an inbuilt save to try to tie you up for a turn to buy time. And the fact that you can use the chapel litany, like you said, to fall back and shoot and then use your secondary trait to charge still, yeah. uh, is a great way around that. You can kind of, it doesn't, it removes that option from your opponent. Yeah. And of course, Raven Card have the stratagem to just fall back and charge or fall back, shoot and charge. I forget what yeah. it is. Uh, but I don't have any CPs. Exactly. I don't have any CP, so. <laughs> so, so that's actually what I've been uh, running most uh, when I've been playing it. It's been um, a hit and run uh, and and the plus range. It's the ones that I've been. Have you considered uh, master artisans for like your smash captain, making him more potent, or hungry for battle just to make your charges more likely at a resort? Yeah, when I switched out the centurions for three invictors, I went master artisan. Uh, it's hard to judge if it was good or not because the Invictors were so much worse than the Centurions. So that tournament... I'm really sad the Invictors were worse because they were in part my idea when we were talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I should have gone to Ultramarines like you suggested. Yeah, yeah. I did suggest the Ultramarine Invictors. That's something different entirely. Yeah, because a lot of times they just stood horribly wrong. They look very yeah. durable on paper, but like all the last cannons went into them. They just went all, they died. It's like instantly. Every, <laughs> every game. That, that toughness six is just such a letdown, I thought. Yeah. Even no, though it's the last game, it's the same thing, but it, it, there's a lot of other kinds of guns where it's yeah. like, damn, stop shooting me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the, the, then I tried Master Artisan, uh, but it's hard. To, I don't think it's worth it. I, it's only like the Smash Captain and maybe the Smash Chaplain, which typically gets the benefit of Fury. So he's a smashing guy. Um, but I'm, I'd rather have um, Plus Range and the Hit and Run version. I think it's 
better. It's because it affects, it benefits the entire army, not just one guy or two guys. Right, right. I was just thinking, like, uh, we had Brad Chester talking about Raven Guard yeah. uh, a little while back, and he was running Master Artisans on his Smash Captain or his Raven Guard's detachment. And he had other stuff to benefit from it, so it made a lot more sense for him. But one of the plays he would often do is uh, Master Ambush with Smash Captain, pregame move him, charge turn one, the whole shebang, which sounds like it's what you're doing. And that guy would nest would like trade for like a really important piece a lot of the yeah. time. So uh, if there's like a Scorpius, which is going to pick up a lot of sense, or in your case, Sanguinary Guard or Death Company, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Trading that guy for a Scorpius turn one is really good value, and the Master Artisans make that that much more reliable. So is yeah. that something you find you care about to make plays happen? Um, I think I, I've used my Death Company more that way. You know, I'll, uh, I'll okay. try to that push. Sense. You kind of have that role filled. Yeah, yeah, I put those hammers into the stuff that I really need to die, and it just dies. It's, it's just that. It's Must be nice. I don't know. Is it six fifteen hammer attacks with reroll to it? The wounds on two up on like everything yeah. in there. I'm thinking more like the death company don't have quite the same threat range though because they both have free game moves, but the captain also starts nine inches off from the deployment zone. So in the longer deployments like hammer and anvil. Uh, your opponent could keep safe by deploying super far back with those important pieces. And yeah. still well, can't I, I mean, you have you have the forlorn. That's uh, twelve plus d six plus one, and then you have twelve plus two d six plus one, so or two even if you have the plus charge. Uh, so you really get really far, I'd say, with the yeah. death company as well. I don't even know what that average is. It's 25 plus D6, it's 28 plus 2D6 plus 2. So it's 30, it's 37 inches or something. And if you start that smack on the line, you can basically charge the backfield of even hammering them. Yeah, and I guess even if you don't get to the very, very far backs of their deployment zone, um, they're in the very, very far back of opponent zone. You're, they're doing what you want. They're not playing for the mission at all. Exactly. And th- there's typically something I'll reach, and I don't have to kill the Scorpius turn one because the stuff that one can shoot at is not anything worth killing, really, because I'm in close combat with everything else. Trying to lock the things in. and I mean, obviously, sometimes you can't lock everything in, right? But uh, that's at least... The way I tried to play it, uh, not dealing that much damage in my turn, rather trying to do it in their turn to get out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, John, do you have any questions you want to ask right now? I mean, I know we talked, we touched on this earlier, um, but I, I did wonder if you had considered any other, um, I guess, marine combos. We talked a little bit about ultramarines, right? Just for a brief moment. Now, I, I understand that the sort of the the sex appeal of running Raven Guard and Blood Angels together is that they have very complementary abilities, which is the redeployment and kind of get in your face turn one or pre pregame moves and all that other stuff. Like they're they're both of those armies do kind of the same things, but they allow you to do more of it in one turn, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm just curious if you considered any other Marines. I, I mean, the reason I started playing this was because I, I, me, like much like everyone else, played Iron Hands for a while. And I felt like the Iron Hand mirror was 
it came down to like you don't have any pre-game stuff that makes it um it came down to whoever started the game uh and raven guard and blood angels can both play a very defensive game uh deep strike more stuff hide more stuff and, and pre pre-game move stuff which allows you to play go second in a better way um other armies to complement blood angels um i don't know i've i've been looking a little bit at raven guard but it came down to like yeah supreme supreme command with the raven guard is probably good but they don't do this thing so, oh not raven guard raven wing um raven no, so, with the sammy and the tower masters yeah but my i the, the the thesis of the army is that if you're really good at the game uh close combat is a lot more effective than shooting yeah, that's that's very much true. I have a lot of players uh, of, I guess, lower experience levels come to me and be like, um, "What does it take for a close combat armies to win? Like, what do they have to change in the rules?" And I was like, "They don't change anything. Close combat armies are great. It's just much more difficult to use, and you have to be very adept and fluent in the assault phase to pull it off." Yeah, and and because shooty armies, well, you can always hide from it, or typically you can hide from it, and you can shoot back and take out the kill the stay the killing power in the shooty army. An assault army well played. You can never really hide from assaults. Uh, obviously you can in, in some instance because you can use the, the length of the table, that's a and you typically not playing the game anyway. And you well, can yeah. kill the assault guys with your guys if you're running a shooty army because then you suck in close combat. Uh, just being able to hide in close combat, uh, kill stuff in the right sequence, and get out of combat in the right sequence uh, makes assault armies a lot more stronger than shooty armies well played. Uh, but shooty armies are easier to play well, I would, uh, I would say. Yeah, exactly. The way, the way I describe it is that neither shooting nor assault is, a, is your win condition. You're, you don't win the game in 40k often by killing the other guy. And all assault and shooting as concepts do is kill the other guy. You win 40k by standing on the objectives and accomplishing certain tasks. And assault and shooting make it more safe for you to stand on the objectives because then you're not going to die right after you kill the other guy. So both are mechanisms for just dealing damage to allow you to stand on objectives. The difference is that a shooting army must kill you first and then worry about objectives later. And an assault army can stand in the middle of the board, not actually get into assault, but you can't go near it while standing on the objectives. So it's more of a board control concept than an actual I'm an assault army concept. Yeah, and uh, and and also the fact that you can, in theory, block your army's your opponent's movement by locking stuff into close combat. Like I played a game where he had screened with two units of scouts. And the rest of his army was walking, but it was behind this. So I, I locked off the entire table with the death company, locking his scouts in. So he couldn't move past my death company, so I couldn't go out. And there's there's a lot of level high-level plays there you can use, of course, too. Um, shooting doesn't allow you to emphasize your player skill as much. I don't know if there's, any ta- there's no tactics or strategies to shooting. There's target priority. There's order of operations to shooting. But if you look at the scale ceiling... Um, of a really, really great 
player playing a shooting army or that same really, really great player playing an assault army, he will do way cooler and more tactically in-depth stuff with that assault army because it just invites more creative plays and strategic depth. I mean, that's how me and that's how we won Adepticon team last year with orcs. We, did, we didn't kill anything. We just locked everything in combat and standing on you know, the objectives with our orcs that were locked in combat. Uh, yeah, that's often how board-based armies work. The other thing worth pointing out about assault-based armies is you're taking advantage of an additional movement phase, so you're just getting a lot more movement. You know, an assault is another movement phase, really. Um, and then, you know, consolidations and violins, you you just move way, way more and cover way more board if you're using the assault phase, right? Um, it just allows you to be way more flexible in where your models are standing, so. Yeah, especially if you get, like, uh, additional consolidation and piling moves uh, with the chaplains or, you know, Blood Angels have heroic intervention for six inches and stuff like that. So there's so much movement going on, blocking off the table. So, yeah, I totally agree. So with that said, have you considered adding in any amount of guns to your list, like random Thunderfires or something, um, maybe Imperial Fists? Just uh, that way, if you get in those staring contests where you're just... You can't really come out from behind the middle L's. Like, you got to start there, but your opponent's too far back uh, for you to go traverse the table and charge him. Um, having some indirect fire in that situation, I could see, or even Iron Hands for, like, character dreadnoughts, having firepower that can't be shot back, really, just to let you play the game without having to commit resources. Is that something that you think would be valuable? Yes. The only reason why I don't have any Thunderfire cannons in the list right now is because I was sort of practicing this for the VTC and Blood Angels don't have Thunderfires. So I felt I shouldn't have Thunderfires in the list and rely on them because I wouldn't be able to play that at the VTC. Uh, but I can definitely see Thunderfires going into the list. It would be really good. Yeah, what would you cut out for it since it has to be something going forward, some sort of aggro basically? I don't know. I, I think the list has like uh, 60 points or something left right now. Um, maybe cut down some on the... Just run, you know, five aggressors, five... Lives and cherries. Yeah, just nickel and dime your squads like a little that. bit. Yeah, yeah, just nibble don't, a little bit. Don't lose the threat, just make them slightly worse to gain the yeah. Thunderfires. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, if I take out one aggressor, I can almost, with the points I have left, I can fit one Thunderfire. If I take out one Intercessor and do something like don't take a Thunderhammer on the Special Captain, I could probably even take another one in there. Um, so, or take out a one Seminary Guard. Take some points off, fill it off here and there, put it in. That would definitely make sense, and I, I love the Thunderfires like everyone else, so the only reason I didn't run it was because, well, it's hard to evaluate lists when you're running stuff that you're not allowed to run uh, when you're going to play it later on, so if, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes total sense, actually. <laughs> I totally understand that. <clears throat> um, so then, let's Let's just think about. Uh, actually, Nick, did you have a question? I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I had a, another question about the Blood Angel portion of your army. Your two HQs are Sanguinor and the Astroth. Now, obviously, they are there to buff the Death Company and the Sanguinary Guards. That's what they do. 
But the Angels also make like incredible Smash characters. Um, you've pretty much foregone including them. Like you're not taking Raphistan, you're not taking a Libby Dread, you're not taking a Smash Captain uh, for Blood Angels. Why is that? Uh, I mean, Astaroth is 105 points. I think is very smashy for 105 points. Um, yeah, I mean, they're good for their points. Like even Sanguinor, Sanguinor, Sanguinor is, is 120 points, 130 points. Uh, but they're not like flat three, flat four damage, like nine attack. Damage profile is a problem. Uh, I, but I have so much high strength weapons anyway. I think, but 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 sure. Obviously, if I had more points. Um, Is it, it's just a points thing, and you'd rather have the support characters instead. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it, I could probably run Mephiston instead of Astaroth, uh, because no, instead of Sanguinor, because he can give you uh, spell for Unleash Rage, which is good. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if he's that much more smash here. Every th- time I run Mephiston, I get disappointed. Yeah, Mephiston always disappoints me too. Okay. I know a lot of players like him, um, so I brought him up, but. He, no, personally, he, I'm always overwhelmed. No, and, and the Smash Captain, sure, but I already have a Smash Captain. Uh, the Blood Angels version is a little bit better, but it's not equally fast, and it doesn't buff other guys in the same way as, as this Smash Captain with a advanced charge aura. So, like, all the, all the characters are there. They're good on their own, but they're there to buff the, the rest of the units, that makes sense. Um, for your units, though, do you find, since you're, as you said, you start the game with like two CP, you can't really make use of fight twice, which is amazing for this kind of army, or CP rerolls even, you don't really get those. Uh, you can descend of angels once if you want to, but you can't even reroll that charge if you botch it. Uh, how do you play with so few CP? No, I mean, what I, what I typically do is I deep uh, strike centurions, that's one CP. I infiltrate the captain. That's one CP, so I'm down to eleven. Uh, I lift up the sanguinaire guards, so I'm down to nine. I three d six charge them, so I'm down to uh, seven. Uh, I forlorn the uh, death company, so I'm down to five. That's just not buy any relics or anything else. No, I don't buy. Uh, yeah, one one extra warlord trait for uh, the captain, so I don't, I'm down to four. That allows me to double strike with the death company, sort of. Yeah, so you've already kind of budgeted, budgeted your sanguinary yeah, guard. The double strike that. is in there. Yeah, um, I, I don't always, I don't always infiltrate the captain. Sometimes it's not necessary. So I'm roughly when I'm done to the stuff I want to do, I have one. If on a good day I have two points left, I try to conserve two points because sometimes yeah. I like to be in combat. Yeah, sometimes you just want the reroll or a free or an interrupt yeah. or something. I gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I wasn't I didn't realize where you spent your command points before the game, but you've it's kind of so much that you've already budgeted for the ones that you'll spend in the game, which is why you have yeah. one two left to spend for free. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But but I mean obviously it would be the list would be ten times as good if I could get, find another 10 CP somewhere. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, striking uh, twice and, and intervening in combat. Uh, yeah, I can't really imagine that. Yeah. Right. Uh, I have one more question. Uh, I have a lot of matchup-specific questions because 
uh, how you play versus fly armies versus how you play versus armies you can wrap is going to be so detriment, fundamentally different. Or armies that want to fight you back like possessed. Uh, I want to get into all that in the next episode. But yeah. have you considered white scars at all for Master of Snares as one of your yeah. allies? Yeah. Yes, I have. Obviously, uh, that's very relevant. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think I want them instead of Raven. I'm. You know, that's the problem. Sort of. Which I. Um, I was looking at trying to find a way to get them in and just keep like a small detachment of Raven Guard just to be able to ambush the, uh, the aggressors and, and get like a battalion of white squares in the town somehow. Uh, it's primarily been a point problem uh, because I can't lose any CPs. I really need all the CPs I have, so I can't do like. Yeah, you know, buy another warlord trait for that guy, and then yeah. you're gonna spend a CP reroll on that master snares. Like that's it's a two yeah. CP adventure, basically. And yeah, it's, it's something it's, it's really for. Like so then it would be instead of Raven Guard, and totally you know remove Raven Guard. And I'm, I'm not sure I want to do that because I think Raven Guard has more tactical flexibility when it comes to yeah, striking. Yeah, like Lightscar doesn't really offer much to you besides Master Snares. Now, of course, exactly. you can outflank sense and then yeah. do 3d6, pick the two highest charges with plus two, but it's really not the same thing. What I did for a few games, I, I scaled down a little bit and I bought a Black Legion. No, no, Black Legion. Black Templar detachment. Uh... I'm oh, sorry, I missed that. Uh, what, what I did try out instead of uh, the white scars is I scaled um, down a little bit on the um, the punchiness. So I removed like a centurion and uh, an aggressor and a sanguinary guard, etc. So I just scaled down a little bit. And then I bought a Phobos captain and a scout unit from um, Black Legion. No, no, Black Legion, Black Templars. Because they have the you you're not allowed to get out of combat uh, strategy, and he can infiltrate up and join the the assault and then touch something and then say you're not allowed to go out. That was a, that's a really great use of uh, black templars, and I think a lot of people don't really know what black templars do or what they are, but they are an alternative there as well. For sure. Yeah, and, and that that one is a lot more safe than a four up. Uh, I think it's a two up. So. Uh, and the forward captain will probably get into combat uh, because you have some bonuses in the Black Templar side. Uh, I don't remember now, but I think it's like reroll charge or if it's plus two to charge or something. It's reroll charges. Yeah. And then the chaplain's plus two, of course. Yeah. So I, I was trying that out because obviously if I play something, uh, play someone that plays well, they will not allow me to lock everything into combat, and then it felt really good to be able to just touch all the units into one unit and put you're not allowed to go out. There's that strategy I'm holding. I was also looking at the gray shield options, but then I realized they do not allow you to use the stratagems. They right, they just get you the, yeah. the treat. Yeah. Awesome. So, John, do you have any more questions you want to ask Daniel? You want to no, I in? just wanted to say that a, a no-fallback tool in a melee army is extremely powerful. So I can definitely see the uh, the appeal of squeezing that in. It doesn't sound like a very big cost either, right? You have one captain and a unit and a scout, so it's just a patrol, right, or something? Um, yeah. yeah. So obviously, no CPs, which 
kind of blows, but you do get this incredible tool, so pretty cool. Well, it's also going to cost you CP, unfortunately, because uh, you're going to have to buy that Warlord trait or use that stratagem, depending which way you go with it. Yeah. And then if you buy the Warlord trait from White Scars, that's fine, but it's a four up. You, you better have a CP ready to reroll that four up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, um, uh, I mean, that. It, in that case, it's more of a choice, right? Do I do I have to double strike with a uh, that company, or, yeah. or can I just like, go something here in combat and then strike more reliantly next turn because they won't get shot away uh, this turn? So it's probably a good thing, honestly, that you're not playing with master snares because, uh, like you said, you're getting ready for WTC where you won't have it, yeah. and then. Uh, if you get used to playing with something that's no fallback and you get taken get it taken away, that's going to be quite the learning curve again. Yeah, yeah, and also that's the reason why I don't use any guns. But I think there's only one element of skill in 40k right now, and that's those movement. Um, and I, would, I mean, movement and deployment are definitely skill based. Okay, I would agree. The shooting phase is not where the skill is at. No. But. The, okay, I, uh, I agree with you. But uh, where there's most uh, use of skill is in the assault phase, because there's so much placement that is important if you're playing correctly. Like a lot of people don't um, uh, pile and consolidate, so they're closest closer to the closest model. They just do it randomly. Uh, if you yeah. actually uh, read the rules, there's a lot of small nuances of. And, skill moments in, in placing your models before charges and stuff like that, or after charges yeah, primarily. Absolutely. Uh, and Actually, I that's something I'm, I want to... Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you guys? I'm, I just have a quick question for both of you, since you're both experienced players, and I'm a newer newer player. But that just you just touched on something I think is important, and that is like, how do you get good at enforcing proper movement on your opponent? Because I think that's like forcing it on yourself is one thing, but also being able to watch so that your opponent is doing proper um, consolidates. Because I mean, I think that's especially when you start getting multiple units and models all over the place. Uh, it gets pretty challenging to like follow that. Do you guys have any tips for that? Just out of I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry, but <sighs> yeah, no, I think it's an important subject. I so, can call it out. Uh, uh, like, uh, I see your intent. Let's pre-measure and see if it's possible. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, what I'll try to do for players is if they're drawing, if they're doing some complicated multi-assault where positioning and pilings and consolidates will matter, they're not just like, you can't just do it randomly. Every model counts here. Um, I'll ask them what they're trying to do, and then I'll be like, be very deliberate with your placements, and yeah. then let's see if it's possible. Yeah. And if you make it clear that I need you to be deliberate and calculated here, people will be deliberate and calculated and yeah. hopefully precise. And then you just measure and, I, and see if it's possible. And and if it's really cramped up, I can I can ask them to take other models and do it and leave their models where they are just to see if it's yeah, possible. Yeah. To, to yeah, models do it or just yeah. models that you brought that are extras, yeah. that's really good for it. Um, and like I'm not always like that. If I if it doesn't matter, like it's just some no. inconsequential combat where who cares? You know, you don't have to be so deliberate and precise. No. But if you're trying to pull off like a, a three stage wrap or this model's closer to that model and heroic interventions are playing into play, be yeah. deliberate. Yeah. I and I'll remind them too, like I won't let them just botch the whole thing and then 
oh, well, you weren't careful here, so I'll just kill you. No, just let me know what you're trying to do. I'll even, I'll prompt them. I'll ask them, what are you trying to do with this assault yeah. phase? And then let's see if you can do it. That's exactly what I do as well. I ask them like, okay, so what are you going to do in this charge? Are you going to wrap this? What, what's your plan? Sort of. And then we see if it's possible. And if it's not, well, then both of us realize it's not possible. Um, so that's maybe helping the opponent a little bit. But I like to play on intent. I rather, you know, if it's possible, I want them to succeed with it. <laughs> yeah, if, like, if you figured out that this is possible yeah. and you know, this is what you want to do, it's not, like, I'm not trying to get you on the fact that you mispositioned a model without thinking about it. I don't no. care. I, I want to no. think it properly. So that's awesome. I don't have any other questions unless, John, you want to ask me to match up or not match up uh, strategic level stuff. No, I just want to take a moment and thank Daniel for jumping on with us and, and quickly remind people that uh, we will continue this discussion in episode two for our patrons, uh, where we get really, really deep into details of optimal play. Um, we'll talk about individual matchups, psychic powers, uh, relics, uh, that kind of thing to really, really dig deep. Um, and in order to get access to that, all you need to do is join our Patreon, which is just, I think, $5.95 a month. Uh, and it's it's really a great value now because we we're closing in on like 40 or so um, bonus episodes. <laughs> or and I guess not bonus episodes, but Patreon episodes. So there's a lot of information from a lot of great players there. Um, you guys should check yeah, it out. Is that 400 hours of content? No. Yeah, no. It'd be like 40 hours. <laughs> No, oh, I can't. Imagine. <laughs> yeah, forty episodes at an hour piece would, in fact, be forty, forty, two hundred forty hours. <laughs> right. So here, guys, definitive proof: you don't need to be a math whiz to be good at forty k. <laughs> the math clearly does not matter. Um, Nick. So anyway, Nick, uh, can you do my taxes, please? <laughs> two hundred forty thousand US dollars back. <laughs> no, I think what you just said is I want to go to jail. So that's <laughs> back on task. Um, so yeah, and if you are a patron, we'll see you over in episode two, and uh, we'll get with you guys soon. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.